Hey, what up? Hello, everybody. Alex Kapitko here, centered from Reality Podcast. It is Friday, November 10th, about a third through November. I don't even know how the hell that's possible, but here we are. Had a quite busy week, so there was kind of a lack of content, but I am here now, and it's it's time to talk about some things. I just wanted to touch on a few things before we get into Trump's growing strength, the Republican debate, and just kind of why I think <laughs> there is really no hope anymore. So that'll be nice and happy. But first first and foremost, I guess this is good news. Israel is going to begin daily uh, four-hour pauses in northern Gaza to allow Palestinian civilians to flee. I've heard conflicting reports as well about perhaps that also means that they are going to be able to do these humanitarian pauses to bring aid in, water, all the all those good things that people need to survive. And so that is that is good news. That is good news. Um, the Atlantic also talks about how Joe Biden has asked Israel for a pause of at least three days. because And the idea here is to facilitate some negotiations for the release of hostages, because we have to remember there are still a lot of hostages in there. One of my worries is, as we know, there's been a lot of bombardment happening in areas of northern Gaza, and I do worry that some of these hostages are already probably dead. I just would assume that based on how violent and destructive this whole thing has been so far. So not not great news whatsoever, but I do like the idea that the Biden administration is trying to pressure Israel to, I think, do what's right here. And of course, the right... <laughs> As I'll talk about later when I get into the debate, the right thinks that Biden hasn't gone far enough, right? They want him pretty much attacking Iran at this point from what some of the people have said. They want him to just be helping helping Israel pretty much just turn Gaza into a parking lot. And so they're mad because Biden's not doing enough. They claim he's endorsing anti-Semitism, which he's not, all that stuff. They're, they're saying um, his press secretary as well is doing all these type of things. And so I... I just don't, <laughs> I don't get it. But then also you have the younger college online left, the more progressive left that also is furious because they think he is involved in genocide, right? And and he is helping Israel conduct a genocide of Palestinians. I think it's more complicated than that. I've shared my opinions before, so I'm not going to get back into that. Maybe next week we'll do a longer update on that. But Biden's in a tough place right now. But I think in reality... If his administration wasn't putting this type of pressure on the Netanyahu government, then I think these pauses probably wouldn't be happening. So I think if we just step back and take a more pragmatic approach, I think the Biden administration understands that Israel might be going a little bit too heavy handed in their response. And, you know, we've seen I've seen numbers provided in a lot of different outlets saying about 10,000 people, 10,000 Palestinians have died so far and like half of them are children. So those numbers are, are really hard to argue with when you say it's it's horrible and we don't want to see this type of death. And so I think behind the scenes, the Biden administration is trying hard. Very tough. Um, also, Hezbollah, by now, I think a lot of a lot of us, myself included, thought that that Hezbollah was going to be more involved by now. But weirdly enough, they have shown somewhat of restraints so far. So I guess that is good. This hasn't exploded into a larger conflict yet, which some of us, myself included, worried was going to happen. So also, just um, one other thing, we learned that the previous 12 months were likely Earth's hottest in over 125,000 years. And that's according to new analytics by scientists at Climate Central. Not, not great news. 
Anyways, um, some of you might not have been aware. I think most of you were aware, though. There was the third debate on Wednesday. I didn't do trivia, and I (laughs) ended up watching it on my phone stuck in atrocious traffic. Shout out to Caltrans for that. But anyways, stuck in my car watching this debate. And I was just, there were, th- there were times during the, the drive, I was like, do I just drive off the road? Because my faith in all of this is just insane. Like, this is bad. But anyways, yes, there was a debate, a debate of no importance. It felt like a debate for the little kid's table. I think Donald Trump Jr. called it a debate for like the local dog catcher. <laughs> just kind of funny. And of course, Trump gave a rally in Florida, which is pretty ballsy. You know, Ron DeSantis is currently debating, and he goes to DeSantis's home state and holds a rally that was probably more exciting and seen than the debates. And we'll get to Trump in a little bit. But anyways, it was it was probably the worst of the debates. It was not only just full of lies and full of just mudslinging. But it was also just kind of boring and boring in both policy and in substance. Like I watched, I want to say I watched about three quarters of it and then read articles on the rest of it because I just couldn't, you know, it's been kind of a stressful two weeks. I was not having a great week and I, I'm like, I don't need to watch this. You know, you have Vivek and Nikki getting just even deeper into their feud, getting personal. You have Chris Christie kind of underperforming having me go, why is he even here? Because he's not even doing what we wanted him to do. You have Tim Scott just flip-flopping on issues and showing no charisma. Vivek just seems like an asshole. Ron DeSantis, he just shows he doesn't have it. Whatever it is, he doesn't have it. And that became very clear once again. And and the weird thing is, is this was probably actually his best debate. So... Yeah, it's a pretty low bar when I still think he did horrible, but he seemed less unlikable than before. So, yeah, that's fun, isn't it? But anyways, again, Donald Trump won this. They all lost. You know, they they all lost in a way. And anyways, I want to ju- I don't I'm not going to spend as much time as I have in the other debates because there wasn't really that much to talk about. But I guess I am surprised about how little they talked about Donald Trump. And how much the moderators just seem to treat him like a normal candidate. There's a good piece by Tom Nichols in The Atlantic that I was reading this morning. And it was just talking about how, of course, Trump and the and the Republican Party's capitulation to Trump is part of why these debates don't matter. Because it's becoming a cult and no one else can beat Trump when the cult leader is still there. He obviously talks about that. But Tom Nichols also talks about how... The media is kind of culpable in this, too. And he, he talks about how, you know, for example, we had Lester Holt, Kristen Walker, and uh, what's his name? Uh, Hugh Hewitt, conservative, right? And they, you know, tried to push it. But again, they're having a debate where they basically treat this like a normal time. Lester Holt, Welker, um, Hugh Hewitt, they ask the candidates questions that just seem normal. And they're normalizing everything. They're basically acting like these are standard times. And because of that, they don't really ask much about about Trump. They want to ask wonky questions about foreign policy and all of that jazz. And then, of course, you have Hugh Hewitt. And he's a GOP partisan. And he's been a Trump enabler himself, conservative talk show host. I think he is better than a lot of the conservative talk show hosts. But... He tried to make the GOP seem like a normal organization, and he asked like wonky questions. Like he asked Tim Scott how many U.S. Navy ships should have been sent to the Gulf, 
<laughs> and it's like all these people are throwing mud at each other, talking about TikTok, talking about Zelensky being a Nazi. And Hugh Hewitt is kind of playing cover to make the party seem normal. And unfortunately, just by relation, you know, um, NBC News also seems like they're playing cover for this because they're having a debate, not asking that difficult of questions. And all these people get platforms and Trump succeeds. And I understand there are other issues to talk about, but treating Trump like a normal candidate, normalizing him, it's, it's, it's dangerous because we have to remember he tried to overthrow the government. They never talked about that. He said he wanted to change parts of the Constitution or even just get rid of the Constitution. He's talked about martial law and killing General Milley for being a traitor. He's hung out with neo-Nazis, claimed, of course, he didn't know them. And he's been busy lately because he's going from courthouse to courthouse because basically all of his illegal activities over the years have caught up to him. And just none of this is really mentioned. I think the only time in the debate they talked about Trump was at the beginning when they're like, why are you guys better than Trump? How would you be a better president than Trump? And other than that, it was pretty boring. And then this was interesting. I heard a lot of criticisms about the debate being mainly about foreign policy, right? Because (laughs) the main thing I learned from this debate is that about half of them on the stage do not want to help Ukraine, do not want to send money to Ukraine, but they're completely fine with bombing Iran (laughs) and pretty much eradicating Palestinians. That's what I learned in this debate. And it was kind of, I guess that was good. At least we did learn that all these people are completely insane and war hawks involving a conflict that that would lead to boots on the ground. We have to remember, no one is talking about sending boots on the ground to Ukraine. We are helping Ukraine so that we don't have to send boots on the ground if they inv- if Russia invaded Poland or another country like that, right? And the irony here is, is they don't want to send money to Ukraine, but they'd be fine with a war with Iran, which would lead to American boots on the ground. It would lead to Americans dying. There's just a cognitive dissonance that really, it just frustrates me deep down. But anyways, the debate was mainly foreign policy. And I think it's because... All these other people don't have much to say about domestic issues because they kind of have to fall in line with Trump and the MAGA base, or at least try to. So the only places that they really differ is on foreign policy. That, that's what I think, because I'm trying to think. They, they talked about, kind of, they alluded to the party losing, right? The midterms happened on November 6th, I think it was. And the Republicans did poorly. I mean, abortion in Ohio, weed legalization in Ohio. Glenn Youngkin is not able to get all the different houses in Virginia to go red. Andy Bashir, re-elected governor of Kentucky, just to name a few things. Basically, <laughs> the Republican Party is just losing and losing and losing. And obviously, the right, I mean, it's very obvious why, right? It's kind of becoming an anti-democratic party led by Trump. But it was interesting. So... Abortion didn't even come up for the first like 90 minutes of the program, even though it's clear the American people are not happy with the Republican stance on it. And <laughs> all Vivek did was blame um, Rana, Rana McDaniel, um, who is, you know, the RNC chairwoman. He blamed her for their losses. <laughs> I don't know. It's insane, right? And and so basically, I think the, I think a lot of these candidates know deep down that a lot of these domestic issues are not popular with the American people. So they did turn to foreign policy. So anyways, 
there were a lot of, as I talked about, sharp divisions over the United States supporting Ukraine, right? Ramaswamy, I think, had probably one of the most deplorable statements of the night. And I will just play about a minute or so of <laughs> Vivek, who doesn't really seem to actually understand how all of this works very well. And he also doesn't seem to understand that Zelensky's Jewish, so he's probably not a Nazi. But anyways, I'll play this. He comes off as arrogant, uninformed, toxic, and just like someone that I think Putin would be licking his chops if he were president, and President Xi would also be thrilled. And he also seems to be kind of taking that Tucker Carlson, Roger Walters, sorry, Roger Waters uh, side where you're kind of, you're not totally being pro-Putin, but you're so anti-Zelensky that you're kind of making Russian talking points for them without directly doing Thank you, doing Senator Scott. Mr. Ramaswamy, are you persuaded by President Zelensky's urgent new plea? Where do you stand on more funding? I'm absolutely unpersuaded. And I'm actually enjoying watching the Ukraine hawks quietly, delicately tiptoe back from their position as this thing has unwound into a disaster. The first half of this race, I was the only person standing for it. Now they're actually quietly coming around to being more cautious as they should. Level with the American people here. Ukraine is not a paragon of democracy. This is a country that has banned 11 opposition parties. It has consolidated all media into one state TV media. Even if he's right about Ukraine not being a perfect democracy, <laughs> Russia's much worse, bro. Arm. That's not democratic. It has threatened not to hold elections this year unless the U.S. forks over more money. That is not democratic. It has celebrated a Nazi in its ranks, the comedian in cargo pants, a man called Zelensky. <laughs> oh, God. Doing it in their own ranks. That is not democratic. More facts for you that you won't hear from the mainstream in either party or the mainstream. I call these Vivek facts, and they're usually Vivek facts. Media. The regions of Ukraine that are occupied by Russia right now in the Donbass, Luhansk, Donetsk, these are Russian-speaking regions that have not even been part of Ukraine since 2014, that other people probably couldn't name those provinces for you. Those are the hard... He doesn't seem to know his history either, but anyways. And so to frame this as some kind of battle between good versus evil, don't buy it. Yep, you heard that. Don't buy it. And, I mean, look, <laughs> he, he left to me no doubt where he stands here. He, you know, lengthy rebuke of Zelensky and accused Ukraine of harboring Nazism and anti-democratic beliefs. No country's perfect. I will never deny that there is corruption and, you know, far-right nationalism inside of Ukraine. It's worse in Russia. And you don't see Ukraine trying to seize territories from other countries. You don't see Ukraine taking like 30,000 children, bringing them to Kiev and basically brainwashing them and getting rid of their national, national heritage and culture to, to basically make them part of their own people. You don't see Ukraine trying to get rid of other languages and enforce the Ukrainian language on people. But guess what country we are seeing do this? Russia. And so to me, this, it's not as simple as a battle between good versus evil, but it is a battle between a dangerous authoritarian country and a, a country that's trying to be a better democracy that is being threatened by this imperial, violent power. So Ramaswamy just, I, every time he talks foreign policy, it just pisses me off. And I think his strength is that he likes to piss people off. And as he does, he gets even better. Like, 
he's the antithesis of the guy who loves being laughed at in the crowd and loves the crowd cheering. He's the opposite of that. The boos make him stronger. And anyways, he he's interesting though because he seems to be then he talks about Israel and 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 with the Israel stuff, he basically doesn't want to give excuse me, doesn't want to give Israel any more money, but he is completely fine with Israel leveling Gaza. And he thinks they have a right to do that. So it's just interesting how there's all these contradictions, but he doesn't seem to care and the crowd doesn't seem to care. And I guess <laughs> I guess that was the sort of surprising thing to me as well, was just how willing all of these people are to finish the job, as Ron DeSantis said during the debate involving Hamas. All these people are just basically like, we need to give Israel free reign to take out Hamas once and for all. And as I've talked about, I don't really know how you take out Hamas because it's so entrenched inside of Gaza. And just this indiscriminate bombing is just going to create more fighters that hate Israel and hate the Israeli people. And so all these people from Tim Scott to Ramaswamy to Nikki Haley to Ron DeSantis, they all are like, yeah, we need to just allow Israel to take them out once and for all. And I don't want to say all of this is like really violent, dangerous talk, but when you say finish the job, eradicate Hamas, I don't really know what that even means anymore. And then you have them also talking about how, you know, we have issues with Syria and how Iran needs to be held accountable. These people, like, were, it was surprising to me how war hawkish they all sounded. Even even the Ron DeSantis and Ramaswamy types who seem very against helping Ukraine. So it was all very surprising to me. A few other things. <laughs> Vivek seems desperate because his attacks are getting worse and worse. And he got more booze from the crowd and the substance went down. My favorite part was where he actually tried to conduct the interview or, or conduct the questioning. Where he said in quotes, think about who's moderating this debate. It should be Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, and Elon Musk. Then he blasted the corrupt media establishment and basically said it's Kristen Welker's fault that all this misinformation's out there. He's like, why are you guys doing this? You're the establishment. To be honest, <laughs> a Tucker Carlson, Joe Rogan, Elon Musk moderated debate would be entertaining, but the substance wouldn't be there. Of course, this is the crowd Vivek is playing to, right? The Carlson, Rogan, Musk people, the kind of pseudo- anti-establishment media that does peddle a lot of disinformation. And that's what Vivek does. So of course it makes sense. What else is there? I mean, I, I guess I, I asked myself a lot why Chris Christie is still running. That was a big one for me because he is an attack dog. He's good at reacting with the media and voters and kind of firing back. And we needed him to be the attack dog, to take down others, to make others look bad in this. And he kind of just disappeared into the background. Um, I think you guys can be forgiven for forgetting that Scott and Christy were on the debate stage. And it's, it's interesting. I mean, both are falling so far behind in the polls as well that it seemed like the other candidates didn't even take the time to really fight with them because they're like, what's the point? What's the point anymore? So there's that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Nikki Haley, I do think, is the best debater of them all. Kind of like Pete Buttigieg in 2020, never the front runner by any means, but the one who is sharp, articulate, and knows how to respond on their toes. 
I am sick of Nikki Haley talking about her high heels. She had, <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other thing. But anyways, um, it's just, it, it's kind of funny to me how much Nikki Haley hates Ramaswamy. She called him scum in this debate, which was interesting. I mean, kind of said what we were all thinking, I think. But anyways, in one of the tensest moments of the night, Ramaswamy basically criticized Nikki Haley because she's been calling out his campaign for using TikTok. Ramaswamy's younger, and he understands that TikTok is where kids go. It's where they get their news and their media and their politics. So I think rightfully he's on TikTok. You guys know my opinion on TikTok. I don't have TikTok, but I understand that it's not going anywhere. It would be stupid to try to ban it. So yeah, people use it. And so Haley's been calling on Ramaswamy for using TikTok. And then Ramaswamy's basically like, well, it's hypocritical because Nikki Haley's daughter's on TikTok. He said, she made fun of me for actually joining TikTok while her own daughter was using the same app for a long time. You should take care of your family first. And she responded, keep my daughter's name out of your voice. I think, I think she misspoke and meant to say, keep your daughter's, or, or keep my daughter's name out of your mouth. But anyways, Nikki Haley's daughter, I think is in her twenties. She's an adult, no relation with Nikki Haley in involving decision-making. So I don't know why this is a big deal. A lot of people, a lot of politicians, I mean, the federal government doesn't let government employees have TikTok on their own phones. So obviously it is a security issue, no doubt. I just thought this was a stupid debate that had nothing to do with anything. And, you know, then she calls him scum. He's bringing her daughter into it. I mean, (laughs) that's why at the end of the day, this just didn't feel at all like an actual debate, right? These debates don't feel like debates. These campaigns don't feel like campaigns, right? Trump is the guy. He's ahead of all of them by just too much now. And this just feels like the little kids at the little kids table throwing mud at each other, no substance. And I wonder what their careers look like after this. What I mean here is 2024 is going to come and go. Does someone like Ron DeSantis get another chance down the road? Part of me thinks no, because say he gets like third place in Iowa, which he probably will get second. Kim Reynolds endorsed him. But let's say he then maybe gets third in New Hampshire or has to drop out before South Carolina. Does he ever get a second chance or does he look like a joke? Maybe someone like Nikki Haley has a future, but I just wonder what happens to these people, these more neoconservative or more moderates like Nikki Haley. I wonder what happens to them because it's clear that the Republican civil war is still kind of going on, but the MAGA side does seem to be winning. I mean, by next year's election, I'm sure Mitch McConnell will try to become majority leader again, but they will probably put a MAGA person instead. Mike Johnson leads the House. The party's clearly changing, and these debates just feel stupid, pointless. I mean, I'm glad I watched parts of it just to know how radical some of these people are in involving helping Israel and getting in a war with Iran, because I don't think any of us want that. And I was kind of shocked at how war hawkish some of these people are. Anyways, um, Donald Trump, uh, <laughs> I don't think, I think he's an immovable force, an immovable object at this point. I don't think there's any way to dethrone him. He is, I mean, I don't know how he's not going to be the 2024 nominee. He, obviously not a single vote has been cast, but he has a 44-point lead, and he's not participating in debates because he doesn't have to, obviously, 
and he's just made a mockery of this whole thing. And he gave <laughs> a pretty interesting rally that happened during the debate in Florida. And <laughs> my favorite line of it was, anybody ever hear of Hannibal Lecter? He was a nice fellow, but that's what's coming into our country right now. And one of his big focuses was this rant about mental health institutions, prisons, and empty insane asylums. He, he's been kind of pushing this idea of just creating homeless cities as well, like taking all the drug dealers and the homeless and the criminals and just kind of putting them into these big cities. Um, he's also talking about doing that with the border. I guess if you had a good bureaucracy and a decent leader that had a moral compass, you could maybe talk about some of these things, but his sound very authoritarian. Anyways, I, I want to play... <laughs> I want to play Roseanne Barr. She was one of the opening speakers at this rally. And what I will tell you guys is she has gone on a journey. This is not someone who is doing well. She had mental health issues already. And then it looks like she went down a QAnon rabbit hole. And now she just sounds violent and deranged. And the fact the crowd is cheering and chanting with her doesn't make you, t doesn't make you feel too rosy about our future. Up with the deep state bullshit. And the bullshit. <laughs> we want Trump, the Magador, to kill that goddamn bullshit. Well, she, uh, she's honestly been on, oops, um, she's honestly been on quite a journey. You know, she used to be pretty funny. Her delivery was great. Oh my God. This gal has been on a journey, guys. That's all I can say. I, I want to laugh just so I don't cry, but she is deranged, disturbed. Something is really wrong with her. And of course I know a lot of people that vote for Trump are normal, just everyday people, but it takes a special person to go to these rallies, sit in the blistering heat, and then listen to someone like Roseanne Barr talk about the Magador. Now, now to be fair, the Magador is kind of clever. Maybe they should make t-shirts of that. It is kind of clever. I'll, I'll give them that. But these, this is a very mentally unwell person. And I worry about the movements where the leaders of them are mentally unwell people because... It tells you a lot of these people are wannabe authoritarians. They'd be fine with using force and violence. And that's not what I like in this country. I don't like to see that type of stuff. So, so isn't that, isn't that nice? Anyways, um, it just, it just seems like his, his candidacy is just inevitable and Trump senses it. All of us do. I, I read an interesting piece about this in The Atlantic, and part of the article involved an interview with Jason Miller, who was a Trump advisor, nutbag, <laughs> and basically during the conversation with Miller, The Atlantic article asked him if the campaign had actually even discussed the logistics or practicalities if Trump was, say, to get theoretically convicted. Um, he asked him, could he run the country from prison? And here's what Jason Miller said. He said in quotes, there's nothing that the deep state can throw at us that we're not going to be ready for. We have a plane. 
We have a social media following of over 100 million people. We have the greatest candidate that's ever lived. There's nothing they can do. Nothing is going to stop Donald Trump. The article later asks him, what about something like house arrest at Mar-a-Lago? Miller says nothing is going to stop Donald Trump. Now, you could take this two ways, like Trump wins and is able to pardon himself. But also there's something, there's a darker way you could look at this too. Like we have a plane, we have a social media following of 100 million people. So you just rally the crowd, mob violence, you know, Trump gets locked up and the crowds want more. You could take it in a myriad of different ways, but either way, I, I think, unfortunately, Jason Miller is 100% correct. This object is this object of the Trump movement is just snowballing, and it's rolling down quite a steep grade. So I, 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 think, I think it's it's a little too late. I mean, I know Dean Phillips. I watched him on Bill Maher. I've read some pieces about him. I know that he is running. I think he has deep down good intentions. I think he's kind of funny and charismatic. I like the fact that he's not 80, but it's just too late. And the problem is, is that Steven Schmidt is running his campaign. And this is a guy who kind of brought us Sarah Palin. He was a never Trumper with the Lincoln Project. But we're also seeing money from Harlan Crow, you know, the guy that uh, Clarence Thomas is close with. We, we were seeing right wing money going into Dean Phillips's campaign. And I think Dean Phillips is a good guy. He is not a Republican, but you have to look at where the money's coming from right now. And this to me just seems like it's a disaster that's happening way too late. And because of that, Biden, it's, it's kind of too late to change out Biden. Unfortunately, believe me, I've told you guys, I wish we could. I want Andy Bashir or Kirsten, Kristen Whitmer, something like that. But I think it's just, it's just too late. And Dean Phillips, I think, I, I, luckily he doesn't have enough name recognition the guy that worries me, of course, is RFK Jr. Will he take more from Trump? Will he take more from Biden? I've heard arguments both sides. One would be RFK Jr. has name recognition. He's a Kennedy. Not everyone knows all of his anti-vax views, his kind of pro-Russian views, his, his weird isolationist views. Some people might just see Kennedy and go, well, he's a Kennedy and I'm kind of tired of Biden. But then on the other hand, RFK Jr. has really played into that horseshoe that Trumpy isolationism, the anti-vax. He's friends with, you know, Steve Bannon and Roger Stone. It could be interesting. It could be interesting. But anyways, uh, we're less than a year away from the coming election. And no one's going to be dethroning Trump unless something happens to Trump. And uh, it looks like Biden's going to be the guy. So fun times as always. Uh, I'm just glad I am not, I haven't lost it as much as Roseanne Barr. So that is good. Anyways, you guys can find me on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Spotify, Podbean. You guys know the rest. Have a great rest of your day, and we'll be back.